So at this time, we'll have uh, Mr. Andy Ruzva come, and he will give his testimony to us. Thank you. Please take your Bibles. We'll open them to the Gospel of John. John 6. We'll read a very short portion. John 6.37 is a verse that's been good to my heart. Stirs me every time I read it. We'll read the several verses around it, and then we'll get into my testimony. Verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but it shall raise it up again at that last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Um, my testimony begins with a family. I was raised in a Christian home. I have five brothers. I'm the oldest. And I cannot remember a time when we were not involved in a church. We were always involved in a church. Um, the earliest memories are from the Surrey Christian Reformed Church, 1961 when it opened, and we were there. And a little side piece to that right now is that when we were there in 1961, my future wife was there also. She was two years old, and I was five, so it was a long time. <laughs> and uh, in that church, we were in Sunday school. We were in catechism classes, all those things we had. So all I would say all the children received a good knowledge, working knowledge of the Bible, uh, catechized as well, learning the catechism of the church. That too spoke to our hearts and would help us along. And at the end of the catechism classes, you're 17, 18 years old, you would graduate, you do a public profession of faith, and you would become a member of the church. But it was still lacking. Um, did not know that at the time. I thought everything was well, but never preached regeneration. Um, the need to be born again was never preached. Uh, it may have been at one time, but I did not hear it. My ears were closed to it and thought everything was well. In 1980, Susan and I were married, both in the church for that time. Uh, started our family. Everything seemed to be well. But the church was sliding into apostasy. It was getting very liberal. And myself, my wife's family, my parents, and 
17, 18 other families were disenchanted and we left the Surrey Christian Reformed Church with the idea of establishing another one, uh, one that would be more faithful. In the meantime, we could find no one to preach for us. One person in the committee that was formed said we should try this preacher, young Irish preacher on Grosvenor Road as a very small church, and uh, we should ask him if he would preach for us. So that's what we did. Steering committee consisting of five people, I was one of them, went to Reverend Gulliher's church on Grosvenor Road and met with him after the evening meeting. And we asked him if he would preach for us. He gave one condition, that we would not instruct what he was to preach. He would pick the sermons for every Sunday. We did it for a whole summer. Reverend Gulliher preached to our group Sunday afternoon, did his own morning service. He did the Sunday afternoon, and then he did a Sunday evening service in his church. We did that for a all summer, and his, power, his preaching was powerful. It spoke of the things that were needful, of being born again, salvation, and that only would come through the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe on him. And that spoke to my heart, and that's when I was changed, and the Lord touched my heart. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, That was 1988, and I've been here since, and been a deacon here for years, and an elder, and very blessed. I'm thankful for all this. So the preaching of the Reverend Gulliher was the catalyst that helped me in my walk with the Lord. And our family was raised here, and we trust that our children would have got the gospel message taught regular here as well. And we still are here desiring to serve the Lord. I'm grateful for the opportunities we've had wife teaching Sunday school. I able, was able to be a deacon and now an elder and to lead in this. And now asking another pastor to come here, um, the Lord has been good. He has blessed us. He has kept me in the years from sin. Uh, it's not an exciting testimony by any means, but it does still have to be the Holy Spirit working in your heart and in my heart and bring us to that point. So a little piece about this verse that I call mine. All that the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. It says, him that cometh, speaking to a singular person, not speaking to a whole bunch of people. He's made it to an individual, and that's me. And... The Father will bring them. And then, he that does come up unto me, I will in no wise cast out. It's a promise that speaks to my heart every time. The Lord will not dump us. He will not cast us aside. He will not put us in the trash heap. But he will minister to us. He will give what is needed. He will be with us, our families. We pray that he will be with our children also and grandchildren, and we give him all the glory, for he is worthy.
There's nothing in me that is worthy of salvation, but certainly the Lord Jesus is our all in all. So we give him the praise. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Rizma. I think it's I think it's still exciting to know that the Lord opened your eyes. Uh, it's, it's not a Damascus Road conversion, but uh, it doesn't matter. It's still a miracle that uh, you're saved and uh, you know the Lord, and He's shown you such grace and mercy. And um, and just as a younger brother in the Lord, uh, I had, I always respect and look up to older. Okay, more senior saints in the Lord who are more wiser and uh, uh, just show more common sense than me. So I, 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 I respect Mr. Urzma uh, very much. He's, he's steady, he's stable, dependable, reliable. That's what you want in a man, right? So uh, we, 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 we honor that and respect that. And uh, he's been a faithful servant of the Lord in this church. Uh, since I started coming here as well, so I've seen that and observed that. So, uh, we and we give we give those who serve the Lord uh, honor and respect, and uh, trust that Lord will continue to use them and bless us as well as we seek to be His faithful witnesses. Um, in terms of the preaching tonight, uh, I did want to speak to one particular topic and. I was going through my Bible. I have a study section in the back of it, and it has one section uh, in regards to witnessing for Christ uh, as we become, as we are born again and saved by the Lord and shown His grace and mercy. The one desire that comes to mind and to heart would be to witness for Him now, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Uh, once you're saved, um, that should be your desire, that you would want to tell others about Christ. Um, I, I don't know anyone that is a professing Christian that never had that desire, that didn't say, I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. I think that's a key element. And um, if that has not been your reality, I'm not sure if it's necessary that you have that reality, but I think it should be a desire that, yes, I need to tell somebody about Jesus. I need to witness for him. As, as we just heard Mr. Ruzma declare how he heard the word preached under Reverend Gallagher and how he preached about being born again, that that convinced his heart that he needed to be born again, that he needed to know the Savior so, as Christians, we are called to be witnesses of Christ in a sinful world. I think that's number one. When you are born again, when you're saved, uh, I, I would suggest that your world goes from, you know, this very foggy, grayish, black and white world to a world of color where everything is bright and new. Uh, there should be a sense of your view of people and how that changes, uh, where perhaps you had a hard heart towards others, where now it's a soft heart. And now you want to tell that person that you were hardened to about Christ. You want to share that with them. Uh, 
Um, this is a sinful world. It's a fallen world. It's, it, it's a broken world. Um, nothing is the way it should be. Everything's upside down. Uh, Christ came to save that which was lost. And as we are saved, we are now called unto him. And the, and the reality is we are no longer, we no longer belong to ourselves. We now come under new management, and that's under Christ. He's the head, and we're part of his body. And we come under him, we submit under him, and he is the authority, and he is the righteous ruler that knows what's best to do with us. So we are called to be his witnesses. Now, I'll just read from this text here. This calling is established by Christ's own command, as well as by the example of the post-Pentecost church. All saved sinners desire to share the gospel with others. More than just an activity, meaning it's not just um, consciously setting out to do evangelism on the street somewhere, which is important, but it's not just that. Our new identity as believers includes being witnesses of Christ. Not doing, but being witnesses of Christ. We are witnesses at all times. Even when we are not engaged in evangelism or other missional activities. I heard someone tell me that they're not a part-time Christian. They said they're a full-time Christian. So I thought, well... You're right. Uh, we never take a day off. We can't just say, I'm not a Christian for the next uh, hour while I go and indulge in something. No, I can't do that. I'm a Christ- we are Christians full-time, 24-7, 365. There is no days off for us. Uh, we are a witness, for better or for worse, we are a witness. Right? As the saying goes, no man is an island unto himself. Uh, or we cannot escape our own influence. We're going to influence others no matter what. So we, are, we are witnesses in that manner. So we are full-time witnesses. Uh, the word witness is a legal term. It designates a person who has a personal knowledge of an important reality and who is willing to make public testimony to the truth of that reality. So to witness about something means to consistently profess its truth and give evidence that verifies this profession. Thus Christians are witnesses of Christ. They have a personal experiential knowledge of Christ. They publicly testify of Christ's lordship and gospel before all peoples. Their words and lifestyle when living by grace are verifiable evidence of the truth. So that's in the sense of legal term as if we were in a court, in a courtroom, uh, we would profess our faith in Christ before witnesses, before a judge, a jury, about who we are. Uh, I remember Reverend Gallagher said, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? (laughs) 
uh, that's a convicting statement. Yes, uh, I would I would check my own heart and see where I am. If I was on trial, as we see Christians around the world who are faced with that reality, that they would have to either confess Christ as their Savior or recant their faith and turn away from their faith or else. Uh, We know in many countries, very hardened countries, for example, in Islamically ruled nations where men and women convert to Christianity, many times are forced into confessing If they believe in Christ, they will face consequences. If they recant and reconvert back to their faith, no problem. But they're asked to recant their faith. And what do many do when you read stories? Many say, no, I can't say no to Jesus. And they end up going to jail or prison or torture or killed for their faith. So it's a reality around the world. And the early church faced that same reality when the Romans came after the first century church and went after them viciously. And the saying was, is Jesus Lord or Caesar? And they had to confess either Caesar or Jesus. And many would say Jesus is Lord. And then that was the end of their life, pretty much. Uh, That's the reality that many Christians face in this world, that testimony um, of faith before the persecutor, um, we pray, would convict the persecutor of their guilt before God, that they would recognize they've killed innocent blood, and that they will be held accountable for that. The Lord is a righteous judge who ultimately will judge on the day of judgment. So, There is that challenge to us as believers that we will one day be asked or challenged about our faith. So in Canada, we don't necessarily worry about that. We have it relatively easy. Uh, In the workplace, we're careful because we know what that can present in many cases. But reality is the name of Jesus strikes conflict within the hearts of men and women. So we are aware of that particular reason to be careful when witnessing for Christ. Now, how should we live as witnesses? Well, Christ set the perfect pattern for us and then sent his spirit to fill and equip us for this task. So we, like Timothy, are to follow Christ's example. He said, and and Paul said to Timothy, I give thee charge in the sight of God and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable. And Paul was uh, charging Timothy for ministry to the church to be a strong, faithful witness. And we know as Timothy was a young preacher who needed encouragement, uh, who needed to be encouraged and just to be bold and and courageous in bringing the gospel before his congregation. Truth was on trial during the time of Pontius Pilate. Truth, you remember Pontius Pilate said, he asked, what is truth to Christ? Truth incarnate 
stood before this Gentile judge, and the evidence of Christ's life demanded a verdict. And the clear testimony was his innocence and his divinity. Truth was also on trial in the larger courtroom of the Jewish people and before all nations. Christ is the faithful witness in Revelations chapter 1, who witnessed a good confession. Likewise, every believer is called to faithful living in a way that is without reproach amid this sinful world. And as our Lord has been the faithful witness, so we are called to be his faithful witnesses. So the Lord did say, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He will help us in that time of witness. He will help us. The Holy Spirit will give us the words to say in time of distress. Um, He will grant us the courage to speak up when necessary or when to be silent. So how should we faithfully witness of Christ? A concise answer is impossible since most of the New Testament was written with the primary intent of instructing believers how to live as witnesses. But in short, living as a Christian witness means following Christ by displaying his character in this sinful world while declaring the truth of the gospel. Note the following practical considerations. So there's four practical considerations that we have. Number one, first, our witness is in the presence of the Father, the, whole, the, the Father of creation. Paul charges Timothy in the sight of God. And likewise, Christ promises to acknowledge faithful witnesses before the Father in heaven from Matthew chapter 10. We often are tempted to evaluate our lives and activities by the judgment of others. It is easy to forget that our witness, first of all, is in the sight of God, number one. And that's easy, isn't it? Because we live in this world, we have the peer pressure of being accepted by our peers, uh, those even within our own church, even uh, in our own workplace, in our homes, in our, in our families. There's that pressure to be accepted to some degree. Yet as to faithful witness, bold stances are taken at times, even within families, within the church, within the workplace. So we are called in the sight of God, and not in the sight of man, but in the sight of God as number one, we consider our witness. Number two. Second, our witness is before a world opposed to Christ and his truth. So be prepared to be misjudged and even mistreated, like we mentioned. As was Christ, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. So the world, as we mentioned, is opposed to the gospel, is opposed to Christ and his word, his truth. We learned that this morning when Christ was opposed by the religious leaders in the synagogue. They wanted to kill him. They wanted him out of the synagogue. They opposed him. Um, Yet the Lord, when he went and he ministered to all those who were in Capernaum, and he healed many. He delivered them from demons. He, he, 
he did such wonderful things that the people came after him and they wanted him to stay. They didn't want him to leave. So secondly, the world opposed to Christ. You will know that if you've opened your mouth and ever witnessed anybody and, re- and felt rejection and known rejection. Third, we are to witness with loving conviction, with loving conviction. For we are called to preach the truth and to preach it, to teach it in love. Uh, and yet we are also called to warn those in Jude, uh, to warn them of the coming judgment as well. And that may vary from person to person whom you speak with. It may, it may not come to that, but someone may be taught the word of God and simply convicted in their heart about what their need is to come to Christ. And we have to be aware of that because many people, many people, they're headed heedlessly to an eternal hell. And that, that should strike fear in us. That should strike care and concern for the souls of lost men and women. You know, I think Charles Spurgeon said, I wish that men and women would fight over my body, that I would beg them to get saved, that they would have to fight to get through me before that they would receive the gospel. I believe I'm misquoting him, but along those lines, with that type of passion to see souls saved, that he would rather have them trample over him than them not be saved, that he would fight for their souls. This is a, a, this is a severe care for men and women and their souls. We must love them enough to be socially and politically incorrect. Isn't that the theme of the day? Political correctness it must be socially and politically incorrect because let's face it, anything you say from the word of God will offend. It doesn't matter. It's a it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's sharper than any sword. It pierces the heart. It pierces the conscience. It convicts. It will offend at every level. So, just to say the words of God can be politically incorrect. So be it. That's what we're called to do. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's the only thing that will convince men and women to get saved. They have no other answer. So we must not be afraid of that, politically or socially. You just preach the truth. Warning them of their spiritual danger and pointing them to Christ. Uh, Again, I... I do, I do, I do. I did have this discussion with a relative, and they were very concerned that uh, politicians can save the day, and that they had their favorite politician. And they asked me, "Who's my favorite politician?" I said, "Well, I don't have one. I don't have a political savior. I have a spiritual one." I said, "There's no politician that can save the day. Uh, they're not. If they're not converted, they need Christ. We need to preach to them. They need Christ." They have a spiritual danger without Christ. So we who have personally experienced the reality of gospel transformation cannot but share this peace and joy with others. That's from 1 John chapter 1. So we, we have that joy. We have this inner joy that is deep that the world never gave us. This is something the Lord gave us. That inner joy that no man can take 
we want to share that with others. That compels us to share the gospel, tell the gospel, proclaim the gospel to others. So that's the third thing. Number four, we are to witness with dignity, humility, and confidence in Christ, who is truth. Dignity, humility, and confidence in Christ, who is truth. Uh, Where once in life, perhaps we were just lost sinners on the road to destruction, having no sense of right or wrong, just lost. Yet when it comes to the glory of Christ and his majesty to save sinners, we come in contact with royalty. We come in contact with the one who's enthroned in heaven, the one who sits and judges the works of men and women for all eternity. We have been in touch with the sovereign king. So now that changes us. That changes us in the way we think, the way our heart is softened to the things of God, the way we treat others, how we have compassion towards the loss and mercy. It changes our speech, how we speak to others. So we then become this new creature in Christ, and we have this dignity, this humility, and this confidence. You know, if you've ever spoken to, a, let's just say, an older man or woman who's been walking with the Lord for many, many years, you know, they have this joy, this deep joy and this love and this purity. And you see this emanating from their being with even their eyes just beaming. They have this dignity about them and they have this just humility uh, and joy of the Lord, this deep down joy. Uh, what a beautiful thing that is, even as a witness for Christ. You may not even say a word, but just your mere presence says a lot. It says much. Yeah, your countenance speaks loudly. We have that in Christ when we look to him who is the truth. Now think of Christ, and we'll end this here shortly, but think of Christ standing on trial before a wicked judge and devious religious leaders. Reflect now on his regal dignity, his royalty, and the gentle majesty in which he displayed righteous living before his accusers, right before those that beat him and scourged him and mocked him. What was his behavior? It was very dignified. It was very calm. Uh, the Prince of Peace it didn't strike back, but he withheld his words. Consider his gracious meekness and humility. You know, we, he says right here, Behold the Lamb of God. The Lamb is gentle, right? He was gentle before the judges that were condemning him. And here stands the king of the universe. He's being mocked by wicked men. He, but he had willingly condescended in order to testify of God's amazing love to save sinners. And that's what he did. 
So be encouraged by his quiet confidence, his quiet strength. You know, that's how the Lord was before his crucifixion. And truth was not determined by the outcome of Pilate's judgment. No, Pilate did not win. Christ was and is and will always be the truth. And soon every tongue will confess it. And let's turn to Philippians chapter 2 as we'll close the meeting tonight. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8, and this is Christ in his humility. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every, na- every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. We'll end our meeting there tonight, and we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee, O God, this evening that we have witnessed the testimony of one who is saved by grace and one who has known Thee for many years. And we're thankful for the life of those who go before us. Now, Lord, that we may see as younger believers and benefit from their walk And that, Lord, we would be encouraged to uh, be a similar example and witness to those that are coming behind us. And we think of children. We think of younger, new believers in Christ. We do pray that, Lord, there would be uh, just a wonderful unity in, in seeing us shine as lights in this darkened world before our brothers and sisters in Christ as a living example of Christ-likeness. And Lord, we do pray for those that, Lord, again, that we pray for regularly who are out of Christ and know not this great salvation. And Lord, help us to be like you as, Lord, you humble yourself to become a servant, to become a man, leaving the royal throne of heaven to come down and condescend to this world that you would come and save sinners that you would be glorified by saving sinners that sinners would make much of you pointing others to the savior lord 
We pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened this night to go forward in power and in strength and to be faithful, obedient witnesses before this world. And Lord, grant us courage, Lord, in, in the face of fear. When we are afraid, Lord, make us courageous. Help us to have that boldness that comes from the Holy Spirit within, that he would uh, magnify Christ much when we speak. Lord, that we would have that courage to speak up, that we have that holy boldness. Uh, in a time, Lord, when many are ignorant of the things of God and so far from the things of the Word of God, Lord, may we be just a, a faithful, burning light of Christ in this world. Help us going forward this week. We pray for uh, your presence to go before us and that we would know your help in every aspect of our lives. Lord, be with us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.